This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I want to invite your attention this evening in the Old Testament to the book of Haggai. Haggai chapter number 2. Haggai chapter number 2. We'll begin reading in verse number 20. We have journeyed together through this book of Haggai, and we are now coming to the closing verses, just four short verses that we'll look at this evening as we conclude our study of this a wonderful book, The Prophecy of Haggai. We begin reading in chapter 2 and verse number 20. And again, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of kingdoms, of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheltiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet. For I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Uh, here we have a final concluding word, uh, the final words of Haggai that are recorded for us in the scripture. And here we find a word of encouragement. That's the title of the message this evening, a word of encouragement. And oftentimes God's people need encouragement and especially those who are engaged in the work of the Lord. Uh, they need encouragement. And isn't it a precious thought that God uh, went to the effort, took the time to speak directly to this man, Zerubbabel, who was engaged in the work of God. Not only was he engaged in the work of God, but he uh, was called by the Lord uh, to lead the effort uh, of the return of the remnant to Jerusalem. And so as we've gone through the book of Haggai, uh, we have seen how that God is calling his people to return to the work. He is helping them uh, by revealing to them the distraction in their lives, the discouragement in their hearts, and then the defilement in their hands. And uh, the Lord is using his prophet to minister to those people, to encourage them to carry out the work of the Lord. You know, we find out that God's work is exactly that. It's a work. And in a day when we can be so easily distracted and so easily discouraged and oftentimes easily find ourselves getting dirty in this dirty world, uh, it is easy for us to take our eyes off of God's mission I want you to know that there's no more important work being done in our world today 
than the work of the local New Testament church. We are engaged in the greatest work. Paul said, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But our flesh is prone to wonder. Our hearts are prone to wonder. Our, our, our flesh is prone to weakness. And oftentimes, we get tired, we get distracted, we get dirty uh, as we walk through this world. And our hands withdraw from the work of God. Uh, now, God is speaking in particular here to the man who is responsible to lead the people. And he is encouraging him. Uh, all of you who know the Lord have been called of the Lord to serve him. Uh, if you're a man and you're a, a married man or a husband, a father, uh, then I want you to know that God has given you a special assignment. You're to be the leader of your home. That doesn't mean that you uh, have a whip and you make everybody get in line with every whim and fancy. No, it means that you are submitted to the Lord and submitted to the needs of your family and you love them and you are willing to take the responsibility to lead them. But oftentimes it can get discouraging or you can get distracted. And God wants to encourage your heart tonight. Maybe as a mother, uh, as a wife, as a grandmother, uh, you, you would see the importance of your role, the significance of what you're doing. And oftentimes we can get very discouraged in the work that God has given us. And we need to remember that God has called each of us to serve him. And so each of us have a place of responsibility, and each of us need a word of encouragement. And so this evening we see this word of encouragement that comes directly to Zerubbabel. God has encouraged the people all through this wonderful book of Haggai. Now he is encouraging their leader. Do you know that leadership can often be a lonely place? But the truth of the matter is, Zerubbabel wasn't alone. Each time we hear the, the Lord speak to Zerubbabel, he's also speaking to, Josh, uh, to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and he's speaking to the people. You see, it takes a team effort, doesn't it, to engage in the work of God? Uh, God has called leaders to lead the people, but he's also given those leaders people to help him, people to serve with him. And here we find that God is encouraging us in the work of the Lord. Now, I want you to notice a couple of thoughts that we have as we think about this word of encouragement. The first uh, word of encouragement that we note here is, number one, the construction is his. The construction is his. Now, if we look back in chapter 1 and verse number 1, the Bible says that in the second year, of Darius the king in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Uh, here we find that there was a construction project that was underway. And the construction project involved three phases. Number one, uh, Zerubbabel was to lead the people uh, to construct once again uh, the city of Jerusalem, 
Remember now, they'd been in captivity for 70 years. The heathen had occupied the city. They had torn down the temple. They had torn down uh, all of the homes. And any, anything that would have brought to their remembrance the truth of the God that they served. And so the city was in a, a state of, uh, of terrible uh, devastation. Uh, the, the walls of the city were torn down. The homes of the city had been destroyed. The temple itself had been destroyed and burnt with fire. Uh, Nehemiah describes it as rubble, as rubbish, garbage, uh, this, this is the situation of the city. Uh, as it was reported to Nehemiah, he said, the city is in reproach. The whole city lieth in waste. And so here we find that God had commissioned the people to return and to rebuild the city. And so not only were they to rebuild the city, but then they were to reestablish uh, the worship of Jehovah God. Uh, during that time of captivity, uh, the Babylonians had populated the region of Judea with the heathen nations, and they established a form of worship uh, that was an idolatrous form of worship that did not recognize the true and the living God. Now the Jews had returned under the edict of Darius, the king of Persia. It was Darius' mission uh, to have the gods of the regions honored. That was his philosophy, is that the places that he conquered, he wanted the gods of those places to be honored. And so he sent the Jews back uh, to Jerusalem uh, to reestablish the worship of Jehovah God. Of course, we know that God was behind all of this, and so we see this project ongoing. And then the third phase, of course, was the construction of the temple to reconstruct, rebuild the temple that had been torn down. And, of course, we know, as we have already studied this passage, that the people were discouraged. The ancient men, the old men who had seen the first temple, Solomon's temple in all of its glory, when the foundation of this temple, Zerubbabel's temple, uh, was laid, uh, in comparison, it did not measure up. And so they were discouraged and cast down. And uh, so we see this commission that the Lord gave them. And to initiate this project, the Lord spoke to Zerubbabel here in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Then we see in uh, verse number 14, not only did the Lord speak to Zerubbabel, but the Lord stirred Zerubbabel. Look again in verse uh, number 14. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and did the work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. You see, if the work is going to be done, if the construction is to be done, uh, God must initiate it and God must stir the hearts of the people. Then in chapter 2 and verse number 4, uh, we see that the Bible teaches us that it was the Lord who strengthened them. Notice again, yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and the work 
Uh, For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. Now, I want you to know they had great obstacles, and there was great opposition to the work that was being done. And here is Zerubbabel trying to lead the people and growing discouraged in this effort to lead them, to get them to stay on track, to keep uh, their eyes on the Lord, to keep their heart engaged in the work of God. He grew discouraged, and God strengthened him uh, in his effort uh, to lead the people of the Lord. And maybe you've experienced that as a Sunday school teacher. Uh, You prepare your lesson, and you know it's going to help people. And uh, you have your class, and people don't show up. They're distracted. Uh, They're discouraged. Uh, Maybe they've drifted in their heart away from the Lord. And and you know the Word of God will help them, but uh, there seems to be a lack of interest on the part of many. And it can become discouraging. This is exactly what Zerubbabel was facing. Not only that, but he was facing the opposition of the enemy. The heathen who occupied the city before the Jews returned, they did not want anything to do with the Jews' religion. They did not want the temple to be rebuilt. They did not want the worship of Jehovah to be reestablished. They they opposed Nehemiah in his effort to rebuild the walls. Why did they oppose the work of God? Why did they oppose this? Because Satan was behind it all. And I want you to know that Satan is opposing the work of the local New Testament church. And he's using every tool in his tool belt to keep us from doing the work of God. And oftentimes, as you are trying to lead your family, as you're trying to lead others uh, to engage in the work of God and to do the great mission that God has commissioned us to do it can become a discouraging thing and no doubt Zerubbabel looked around he said look people are discouraged about the size of the temple they're distracted by the needs of their own homes they seem uh, to have little passion for the work of God and they're engaged in uh, this ritual form of worship but they have not gotten their hearts right And uh, so he got discouraged, no doubt. And God here is trying in speaking to him in an effort to encourage him in the work of the Lord. And it's a great thing when we recognize that the construction is not ours. It is the Lord's. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 18, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, And upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Who builds the church? The Lord Jesus is the builder of the church. He does the construction. And it is a freeing thing for us. It is a a, a relief. It lifts a burden off of us when we recognize that the construction of the church belongs to the Lord Jesus. And if the work is going to be done... He will guide it. He will lead it. He will correct those who have gotten distracted. He will cleanse those who've gotten dirty. And and he will encourage those uh, who have gotten discouraged. 
The construction is his. So what is the role of the leader? The leader's role is to stay faithful and to continue to proclaim the message that God has given and to lead the people to stay on track. So number one, the construction is his. Zerubbabel, this is not on you. You've been called. You have a position of responsibility. You must occupy it. But understand, you cannot accomplish the task. I, the Lord, is saying, I will do the work in the hearts of the people, and I will see this project through. And so the construction is his. Here's the second thought this evening. The control is his. The control is his. Now, not only was he dealing with trying to keep the people of God on track, but he's dealing with a situation and a climate in the world that is hostile uh, to his mission. Notice it, if you would, please, in verse number 20. And again, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and 20th day of the month, saying, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. And I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. And the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. Who is in control? That's the question. God says, I want to remind you, I'm in control. I'm in control of the kingdoms of this world. I'm in control of the circumstances of this world. Uh, we're living in, in, a, in a very difficult or living through a very difficult time uh, in the sense that our, our life as we have known it for so many years has been disrupted by this COVID pandemic. We're living in a time of confusion. We're living in a time of division. We understand the situation that we're living in in this world. And oftentimes, as we think about it, we understand that the, the climate of this world and the circumstances of the system of this world are in opposition to the work of God. It would certainly seem apparent to us that many leaders in many states have targeted, in many ways, the worship of God's people and the gathering of God's people. For example, in Nevada, uh, the, the uh, governor of Nevada said it is okay for people to gather and assemble in casinos, but not in churches. That certainly does not seem to be a consistent application of a health protocol, does it? And we've seen inconsistencies like this in recent months. And oftentimes, it becomes evident to us that although uh, there are governor, governing leaders who desire to protect the people, oftentimes it seems like there may be those who are seeking to control the people. And as we see this unfolding, oftentimes it disrupts us. It causes us to be troubled in our spirit. We begin to question things. And, of course, in recent months and recent weeks, we've had lots of reasons to do so. If we're not careful, we can get so preoccupied by those things, we forget who truly is in control. God is in control. The Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God has a purpose in this world. God is in control of the circumstances of this world. And he is reminding Zerubbabel of this in these closing verses. I want you to know, Zerubbabel, I'm in charge of this construction project, and I'm going to see it through. 
And here's the second thing I want you to know. I'm in control of the circumstances of this world and the kingdoms. I have the power to establish my purpose. I will fulfill my will. Now, notice what he says here. In uh, verse number 21, he says, I will shake the heavens and the earth. Uh, The Bible teaches us that the heavens and the earth tremble at the presence of God. What is God reminding us of here? That he is still in control, that he's still present. I want you to know it doesn't matter what policy party uh, or or politician occupies uh, a place of influence. There's one who occupies the throne of heaven. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know that no matter what policies they implement, his policy and his plan will surely come to fruition. I want you to know that the purpose of the church will move forward. No matter the economy, no matter the political climate, no matter our comfort, whether it's disrupted or whether it is not, God will accomplish and fulfill his plan through his church. He says, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I'm present. I'm on the throne. Verse 22, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will overturn leaders. I will set leaders up and I will overturn them. Just as easily as he sets them up, he can easily overturn them. Oftentimes we get our eyes on individuals and we think, well, as long as that person's in power, we're in trouble. But God says, you don't need to worry about that. Here's what you need to understand. I can overthrow them in just a moment. He goes on to say in verse number 22, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. The strength of those kingdoms. Oftentimes, we, we look at, at the circumstances of this world. We see uh, the, the growing power of, of groups of people that are in opposition to the church and to the truth. And, and it, it appears to us at times as if their strength is overwhelming and cannot be defeated. God wants to remind us today that his power has not been diminished, that he is able to destroy the strength of of the kingdoms of the heathen. I think about Goliath, uh, who was a giant man, nearly 10 feet tall, an imposing figure, a man of war who challenged all the soldiers of Israel to come and fight him, and no one would stand up to the challenge. Finally, a young boy, maybe about 16, 17 years old, a shepherd boy with a sling said, I'll, I'll go fight that big mouth. And he stood forth in the valley with that sling. And he said, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. You see, David had the right perspective on the enemy. He wasn't looking at him from the ground up. No, he was looking down on him from heaven's perspective. He said, wait a minute. You you look pretty imposing to these soldiers, but I want you to know in the sight of God, you have no strength. And friend, God took care of him with one stone, did he not? And then David slew him with his own sword. You see, God is able to destroy the strength of those kingdoms. Those things that intimidate us, those things that scare us and bring fear into our hearts, they don't cause any alarm to God. He is in control. Then we see that he says in uh, verse uh, number 22, he says, I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. And the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. He says, the armies of the heathen will be overthrown by the Lord. This is what he's telling us. 
their armies will be overthrown. In fact, he says, I will turn them against one another and they will devour one another. They'll turn on each other. By the way, when you see what's happening in our world, it isn't hard to imagine how that can happen in just a moment. Uh, many of these forces that stand against God's church and God's truth are just one statement away from turning on one another and devouring one another. And there are examples of this in the Old Testament where the kingdoms aligned themselves and came against the nation of Israel to fight against them with imposing numbers and great armies. And God, in just a moment, just turned those armies and every man against each other and defeated the entire army. What is God wanting to remind us this evening? That he's in control. He's in control. Is he in control of coronavirus? Yes, he's in control. Is he in control of all of the political consequences of coronavirus? Yes, he's in control. Is he in control of the division and the enmity and the hatred and the strife that is just seems to be uh, bubbling up in our nation? Yes, he is in control. And so we can rest in him. It's a word of encouragement. The construction is his. He'll build his church. The control is his. Let me give you the last thing, and that is this. The choice is his. Now, this is a very personal message to Zerubbabel. And notice it again in verse 23. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheltiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Here's what we find out. We find out that Zerubbabel is God's chosen servant. I want to say to you this evening that God has chosen you to be his servant. Do you know the Lord is your Savior? I want you to know that you are not saved tonight because you found your way to God. You're not saved tonight because you went about and established your own righteousness. No, you and I are all, and all of us are sinners in the sight of God. And if we know the Lord as our Savior, it's not because we made the decision to approach him. It is because he drew us to himself. Salvation is a work of God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the work of the revelation of God's word. And as we are drawn to the Lord, then we receive the Lord as our Savior. We put our faith and trust in him. Jesus said in John chapter 6, uh, no man can come unto me except the Father draw him. And so we find that God chooses us. He sets his love on us. And he chooses us. What a glorious thing it is to be the chosen of God. Now, let me read, if I may, uh, a passage of Scripture that we find in 1 Peter chapter 2. Would you turn there with me? Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. Now, Peter is writing here to Hebrew Christians. But he's not just writing to Hebrew Christians. He's writing specifically to them in this case, but he's also writing generally to us all. And he is writing to them concerning their position in Christ. Now, I want you to see it in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. 
but ye are a, what's the next word? Chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Now you see, the Hebrew Christians would have been used to that language because God tells them all throughout the Old Testament, they're the chosen people, they are a peculiar people, they're the apple of his eye. And so Peter, using that same language, is explaining to the Christians, the believers in the Lord Jesus, that they are a chosen people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, which in time past were not a people. So this is not a specific group an ethnic group, a national group. This is not a nation that was before a nation. No, this is a nation made up of people from every nation and every kindred and every tongue and every tribe. He says, in time past, you were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Here's what we find. We find that God has chosen us, and God has called us to himself. What a special recognition that is, to know that God has set his love on us, that he has revealed himself to us, and that he has drawn us to himself, and we have responded to his offer of grace by submitting to his will and obeying the message of the gospel. Therefore, God has called us to serve him, and to show forth his praises. We're not here tonight on accident. We are here because God has chosen us. Now, the Lord wanted to remind Zerubbabel of this. Zerubbabel, you are here in this position of leadership because I have specifically chosen you for the job. And God has chosen you for the job tonight church family. He's chosen you to serve him in this hour, in these circumstances, with the opposition that we face, with the distractions that we deal with, with the discouragement that we often deal with. God has chosen you to serve him, to uh, faithfully serve in his local New Testament church. Now, we find he was chosen as a servant. He's a servant. What greater thing can be said? Now, here's what we learn about Zerubbabel. He is the grandson of the last king of Judah, King Jehoiakim, uh, also known as uh, Jeconiah. He is the grandson, so he has royal blood. He is of the lineage and the house of David. Had the nation of Israel or Judah remained in its freedom and its independence, he would have been the king, but he's not the king. He's just a a governor. He is uh, uh, there only because Darius has commissioned him to be there. He could have been a sovereign, but he was something greater than a sovereign. He was a servant. What greater thing can be said than that you are a servant of the Lord? What a privilege it is to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And by the way, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he came to this earth, what did he do? He humbled himself and took upon himself the form of a servant. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
You see, God chose him to be a servant. This will help us sometimes. You know when we get offended, when we feel slighted or overlooked or underappreciated, it is good for us to learn the passage of Scripture that tells us that we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but that we ought to have the mind of Christ, that we ought to humble ourselves and be his servant. What a privilege it is to serve the Lord. And so Zerubbabel, you're not the sovereign. You could have been, but you're not. You're in a greater position. You're a servant. And then we find not only was he chosen as a servant, but he was chosen as a signet. Notice what he says, and I will, and will make thee as a signet in verse 23. For I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Now the signet was the seal that the king wore, typically either on his finger in the form of a ring or around his neck. The signet was used to verify his signature. Uh, it's like the stamp, a seal of a notary today. When you have a document and uh, you sign that document, it has to be notarized. A notary will have a seal that they use, and, and uh, that seal will produce an image uh, in that paper uh, that will prove that that document has been notarized, and therefore it has authority. The Lord said, I have established you. I have chosen you as my signet. You are to bear my image. You have been commissioned with my authority. The Lord Jesus said, as my father hath sent me, even so send I you. You and I who are engaged in the work of God, who've been chosen to serve the Lord, we have been given authority that is the authority of heaven. And may God help us to go in that authority and in that power to bear witness of him. And may we engage in the work of God. And so he said, you're chosen as a servant. You're chosen as a signet. You are special to me. And I want you to know that God loves you and each and every one of you are special to him. Now, Zerubbabel, uh, as the grandson of of a Jehoiakim uh, may have felt as if he had been disqualified from serving the Lord, as if he was not worthy to do so. We read in Jeremiah chapter 22, in verse number 24, that during the ministry of Jeremiah, you remember now Jeremiah is the prophet who is warning the people of the Babylonian captivity. And the people of Judah, despite all of his warnings and all of his messages, uh, they resisted the truth that he gave them. And they held to their form of idolatry. They rejected the message of Jeremiah. And, of course, one of the chief men who was responsible for that was Jehoiakim, the king, the grandfather of Zerubbabel. And so Jeremiah pronounces this prophecy against Jehoiakim in Jeremiah 22, verse 24. As I live, saith the Lord, though Coniah... Uh, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, uh, were the signet, there's that same term, though he were the signet upon my right hand, yet would I pluck thee hence. God said, I want you to know, though you were my signet, though you, were, you had authority, you had power, you were my representative, I, I would pluck you, I would take you off my hand and, and, and cast you hence. 
And he said, And I will give thee into the hand of them that seek thy life, and into the hand of them whose face thou fearest, even to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. God uses that same language to speak to his grandson and say, I want you to know, you're my signet. You know, the failures of the past uh, do not determine the future. God is a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of forgiveness. Yes, he may prune us, and yes, he may chasten us, but he loves us with an everlasting love, and he can restore us to usefulness and to service. And we find Zerubbabel, again in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 12, and also in Luke chapter 3 and verse 27, where do we find him? In the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this message that was given must have encouraged Zerubbabel. What did it encourage him to do? Well, it encouraged him to stay on the job and finish the work that God gave him. He was special to God. He was chosen by the Lord. He was the servant of the Lord, near and dear to God as a king's signet ring. You and I are near and dear to the Lord. And so tonight we, we have a word of encouragement from the Lord. Stay in the work. Be faithful. I will build my church. The economy, the political climate, I'm in control of all of that. And I will accomplish my purpose. My power is greater. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I have chosen you for this hour to be my servant. Now serve me. A word of encouragement. May God help us tonight. Let's be faithful. Let's determine to be faithful. What is it that God will do? And what can he do through the ministry of Tabernacle Baptist Church in the midst of this time where it just seems so difficult to accomplish anything? That is the exact time that God is able to work and do amazing things. And so may we trust him. May we trust him to do what only he can do. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.